those of you who know me now know I love communion. Um, there's, a, there's a richness to it that you just can't ever come to the end of it. Isn't that right, Melita? Yeah, yeah. Um, so let me start with this. Ever been involved with a big project? And you started a big project, might be a home renovation or something, or restoring a car like me. Um, and it's always good somewhere along the line to kind of step back from the project because you can get so buried in the project that, you know, what's that old saying? You can't, can't see the forest for the trees. Or, um, yeah, so, you, so, you, you're so you're so buried in it with the day-to-day working of it, you can't, you know, you kind of lose sight of the overall picture. So it's always a good idea to step back a little bit so you can see where you're at how, how far you've come, where, where you think you are, if you think you might be off track a little bit, um, and, and to be encouraged by what the end result is. That's what communion is. Every time we, we pause and, and take communion, it gets us re-centred on our big project. And of course, our big project is our walking in God. It's our, it's our Christian life. You know, you hear people, and sometimes big-name people, who um, have fallen away from the faith. And you kind of think, how, how does that happen? Now, I, I, I don't want to cast any dispersions on, on, you know, on anyone, but I really do think that one of the powers of communion is that where you really think about what it is. And it makes you think of where you've come from, and where you're going, what's it all about? So often we talk about, you know, we're talking about being a Christian, we talk about being saved, our salvation. That's really what it's all about, isn't it? So salvation, I bet everyone here this morning could actually name the day that you were saved or be close to it. I couldn't tell you the day, but I, I know kind of roughly the year. But that, it, it, it gives you a start date. But the big question is, how will it finish? Where, where is it going? You know, what's this all about? Because we're, we're kind of midway through our walk in God. You know, I'm 41 years in my Christian walk. Some of you may only be a, a short time. It doesn't really matter where you're up to, but it, it's good to step back and go, where am I? And what am I doing this for? What's, the, what's at the end of this? So you know from Scripture that, that everything in this book is, is written for us. It's, it's really specific. Like, you know, God doesn't waste any words. He doesn't, there's no trifles. When he says stuff, he really means it. And so if it's in Scripture, it's important for us to see it. So when Jesus came, and I'm going to be referring from the Luke's, Luke's version um, of the Last Supper. You know, there's only, you know, of the four Gospels, John doesn't mention communion or the Last Supper. But he spends three chapters on talking about what Jesus talked about at the Last Supper. But of the three uh, in the Gospels, Luke's is slightly different in that he's, he says something very, very powerful. 
Now, so before I just read that, I just want to say that this, you know, this is a, a, a very important strategy. So when Jesus um, sets up the Last Supper, it's a very important part of his overall strategy because he's actually fulfilling the Passover. He's about to go to the, the cross as the lamb. So he's, he's, he's wanting the disciples to know something very important. But it's not just the disciples that he's thinking about. He's thinking about us. So Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament. It's the Old Testament that's coming to a close. So this is actually the closing moments of the Old Testament. They didn't know that. And we weren't there. But it's also the beginning of the New Testament. It's the... It's the dividing line between the two. So Jesus, in the one move, in the one act, is closing the Old Testament. He's fulfilling the Passover. And at the same time, he's taking that bread and wine, and it's a foretaste of the meal to come. It's like the first meal. So remember, they're still in the Old Testament. He still hasn't gone to the cross. This is the night before. So it's just a taste. He says, take this bread, take this wine. It's a taste of that which is to come. So let's just read. This is, um, and I haven't, haven't got anything up there for you to look at. Um, Luke chapter 22. So it says here in verse 7, it says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. So this is defining what this is. This is the Passover. Verse 14, when the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 disciples with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I've desired to eat this, this Passover with you before I suffer. So really listen to his words here. With fervent desire, the first thing he says at this point, remember this is closing the Old Testament, opening the New. The first thing he says, with fervent desire I've desired to eat this, for I say to you I will no longer eat of it until I eat it, until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. That's the first thing he said is the promise of what's to come. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, again, the promise, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he goes on, then he takes bread, he gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them and then said, this is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. We'll just leave it at that. Here's the question. Jesus... Knowing everything. He knows that those 12 disciples that he's eyeballing, every one of them are going to betray him in a few short hours. And it's not only those who are going to betray him and abandon him and run away. But Jesus came to save the Jews. He's going to the cross. They don't know that. They're putting him on the cross. They've abandoned him. And the ones who actually put him on the cross are the, the Gentiles and he's come to save them. Everyone, He is going to be completely abandoned by everybody in a few hours. 
And yet he looks at those disciples and he says, with fervent desire, I have desired this. How could he say that? What's he looking at? Of course, he, he's not looking at the smallest of their faith. Right then, because it, it's only a few minutes later that they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. He looks past all of their weaknesses, all of their fears, all of their shortcomings. He looks past all of that stuff and what he is seeing, he's looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He's looking forward to the fact that the church is going to be created. There's going to be something that, that these guys don't even see yet, that what they're going to become. And that's what he's looking for and that's, he's so excited about that. He's facing the greatest, you know, the most horrific death that any person could encounter. So horrific that even before he gets to the cross, his, his, his whole body breaks down. And yet he can say to them with fervent desire, I've desired this. So now, as um, or perhaps I should just mention, just to clarify, I won't open the scriptures, but uh, um, in Revelation, um, it's, it's the angels who had brought the, the last plagues and they say to John, come up, I'll show you the, the, the bride, the lamb's wife. That's us. And then he sees a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, adorned so amazingly. It's not the scope of this message to talk about all of that. But somehow that's us coming down out of heaven. And um, that's what Jesus is seeing. He's seeing, he's looking right into the future. This is what it's all about. This is what he came for in the first place. So now as believers, we can take communion. That's, that's one of our rights is because we've given our life to the Lord, we can take communion. Um, but often, often what we, you know when we think about being saved... We think about it in terms of um, we're saved from judgment. We're saved from going to hell. And that's a good thing. But that's not the whole picture. And I just wrote down these little things here. You know when we're saved, we go from being lost to being found or lost to saved. Excluded to included. We go from outsider to insider. From aimless to purpose. We go from being unwanted to wanted. We go from being rejected to accepted. We go from being a stranger to being a friend. From slave to free. From cursed to blessed. From temporal to eternal. We go from dead to alive. But this whole idea of we're saved from judgment, that's not the full picture. We really have to understand that what it really means to be saved. So the broken bread and the wine that Jesus shared at the Last Supper was all about fulfilling the Passover. And I want to just go back to... Um, <clears throat> right back to the beginning. You know, if, if, um, if being saved is just being rescued from judgment... Then if you go back to when, in, in the Garden of Eden, when the serpent deceived Eve and 
uh, you know, the, the, the two first people were innocent before God. And they, through their um, disobedience, fell. So they needed to be rescued. And there's a promise where, where Jesus, when he pr- uh, pronounced judgment on the serpent, he said, um, uh, he, he is going to crush your head and you'll strike his heel. So there was a promise built in there that God was going to somehow restore the thing. But this is the point. If, that, if God didn't know that was happening, if, like, if God got caught out by that going, oh, man, <laughs> Adam, what, you, what were you doing? Now I've got to fix something. And let's see what I've got in my back pocket that I can come up with a rescue plan. You know, like a rescue plan, the big problem with rescue plan is that it restores the status quo. It takes you back to the place where you were before you needed to be rescued. That is not what that was all about. When we, when we become saved, it's a, it's a doorway. Um, for, sorry, let me, let me just go back to Genesis. And I think I'll say something now that um, not everyone's going to find easy to hear. But when, when, when God created the world in all the days, then created the, the earth and then the animals, and he said he, he created the animals out of the earth. And then he made man. And, of course, he made man out of the dirt. Of the, he actually got down with his hands and made man. But when he created all those animals... And all of the herbs of the field and the trees and everything, every, uh, everything was a, a male and a female. So with all the animals, there was a male wildebeest and a female wildebeest, a male bison and a female bison. But when he came to man, he only made one. Was God... Was he needing a holiday after all that? Why did he only make one? Because he says in, 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 uh, in Genesis chapter 2, um, there, was no, there was no companion suitable for man. So God caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam. And out of his rib, sorry, out of his side, he took a rib. You know, it's the same spot where the spear went in. When Jesus was on the cross, that's where the spear went in. And out came blood and water. But he... So, so God takes out a, a, um, a bone. I'll just read it here. Uh, from verse 20. <clears throat> so Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of a man, out of men. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The whole thing of the woman is that she is the companion suitable for the man. A lot of women's lib stuff would really take issue with that. 
But this is how it's set up, and it's, this is why, this is, this is my opinion why. The Adam, Adam, Jesus is the second Adam, and out of him comes his bride. That's us. And the thing that we want most of all is for us to be a suitable companion to him and for him to put his arm around us and protect us from everything. That's, how, that's, that's why marriage is so important. And, and uh, uh, Paul brings it out in Ephesians chapter 5 really, really well in there. And, um, but can I just say this, that um, when you're looking at nature, you know, often my wife and I, we, we like to sit down and watch a nature show. And often we'll sit down with a snack or a meal and we'll sit and we'll watch a nature show switch on the TV and we're getting something nice and delicious to put in our mouth and what we see is some lion tearing down a wildebeest <laughs> or a crocodile chewing down on a zebra, you know. Right, change channel. Um, don't think I can cope with that right now, thank you. Um, the whole point of nature is that it's the strong dominating the weak. Survival of the fittest, is that Right. But the scripture says, Jesus said, that the meek shall inherit the earth. It's a good thing because the bride is the meek. We've come out of, you know, we, we aren't the strong. That, that's how we're made. That's important that we are, we are the bride altogether. And uh, <clears throat> here we are. We, we need him. So anyway, salvation. Where did I get up to? Um, so we've got, got Adam and Eve. So this is, how, this is how it's set up. So when Adam and Eve, when they sinned, um, God, God said, um, this is, you know, you've sinned, so this is what I'm going to do. So this is, this is my understanding. So this is Adam and Eve at this point here. They're innocent before God and they sin and they fall here. The whole thing of being saved is not to go back here. It's to go here. And that was always the plan. Always. Satan merely played his part. He didn't know, but God goes, you're going to do this, they're going to do that, this will happen here, that's going to go there. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to have a bride in heaven. The whole, the whole point of this. All right. So the next point in the whole story is Passover. The Passover, often what we think of Passover is that here's all the, the children of Israel. They're not a nation at this point. They're just the children of Israel. And they've grown so many that they're now enslaved and they're enslaved to Pharaoh and they're building his cities and they're crying out desperately for salvation, for something to happen. So... When Moses sets it all up so that he says, okay, on this night what's going to happen is you're going to kill a lamb, you're going to put the blood over the doorpost, you're going to eat that whole lamb, and then you're going to leave. So often what we think with Passover is we think about the lamb being killed and eaten and the blood on the doorpost. But that's not the whole picture. The picture is you're also going to leave. And when you leave... You're going wealthy. You're taking the wealth of Egypt with you when you go. 
So that's, isn't that like us? We, we, um, we come out of the world and you know, to be saved, we, we eat the whole lamb. We have to have the whole amount. We can't, we, we can't just go, well, I like this bit, but I, I don't like that bit there. So Jesus said, or God said, when you eat the lamb, you eat the whole lot. And you just put the blood on the doorpost. So the blood is on, on the doorposts of our heart. So the avenging angel passes over and we're spared. But on that same night, they left. And they left as a nation, a nation under God. So what they were before was just slaves. Now they're a nation. And not only a nation, they're under God, under his protection, under his guidance. And not only do they know that, but the whole world at that time also knew that. Because what God had demonstrated is that you think you've got powerful gods? I'll show you what powerful God is. So as we now finish our race, I think in, in Hebrews chapter one, uh, sorry, chapter twelve, verse one, uh, Paul talks about he's run, he's run the race, he, and and he's finished the course, and that course, you know, we're all in a race to the end, but it's a, it's not a, a race of speed, it's a race of endurance, and really it's an obstacle race, and that's what we're in right now. You know, each one of us, if we're still drawing breath, we're in an obstacle race. And we're getting, we're getting to the end somewhere. So just get coming, let's bring it back to communion, if those who'd like to distribute that. The whole point of communion, I shared this once before, is that it caused us to look back. We, we take our time to look back and consider what the broken bread means to us. What the shed, the shed, what did I say? The, the broken bread, the shed blood means to us. We look back at that. But we look forward to what it also means, that it's the fellowship with Jesus Christ. The next time he shares a fellowship meal, it is going to be with us at the wedding feast. It's almost something that we can... It's hard to get our head around. In fact, I was sharing this with Peter. You know, Jesus, when he says, I've earnestly desired, earnestly desired this. Jesus right now still earnestly desires that. Thanks, Madge. Um, there's Jesus on a throne in heaven and he's kind of going... Can't wait, can't wait. Not long now. We're so excited. I'm so excited because he knows what's coming. Now, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians ch uh, chapter 2, verse 9, one of my favorite verses, it says, think about this. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor even entered into the heart of man what good things God has in store for those who love him. So when we talk about, you know, we started out by saying, when we're saved, 
say, it gives us a start date. Where will it finish? What's, what's the end? Eye has not seen nor ear heard nor entered into the heart of man the good things that God has in store for those who love him. <clears throat> Have you ever pondered this? If we're the bride and we're heading towards the wedding feast, what will happen after that? What happens after the wedding? The bride is no longer the bride, is she? Who is she? She's the wife. The wife of Jesus in heaven. He's the king of kings and we're his wife. Have you ever let your mind run with what that might look like? How that would work? I just had a little picture in my head. There's Jesus. He's on the throne. He's got all these kings of the nations have come in. They're discussing various things, important stuff, all that. They're in deep discussion. At the end of the hall, the door opens and in comes his wife, the queen. All conversation stops. She's welcome. She walks right up through the crowd, sits on his lap. He says, gentlemen, I think we're done today. You, yes, yes, uh, no, uh, maybe we'll think about it later. We're done. Right. That's us. We're there. What would you like to do today, sweetheart? What shall we do together? Now, you can draw your own little imaginations about that. But one thing that we do know is that we will be married to him. And I have this belief that this now, we won't even remember this. The whole point of this is to get from this to that. That's why Jesus says to those guys, with fervent desire, I've desired this. I can't wait for the fulfillment of this. I'll happily go to the cross because of what it's going to create. This was always the plan. It was always where I was taking it. This is, you are... You know, you here this morning and those who are listening at home, you've been chosen for this time. You've been pulled out, you know, handpicked and, and set up for this time to be a part of not just the church, for whatever is there in eternity. You know, some people think, oh, you Christians, you're going to be, you know, sitting around on fluffy white clouds, playing harps. <laughs> Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man. You know, if you read in Revelation, it says that the city, the New Jerusalem, is made of pure gold. So pure it's translucent. I can't imagine what that looks like. But I know that when I see it, I'm going to go, oh my gosh. That's just beyond words. No wonder John in Revelation struggled to describe what he was seeing. Here we are. All right. Excuse me while I open this.
So wherever, wherever you're at, those who are listening at home, if you haven't yet really given your life to the Lord, but you, you don't know whether that future destiny is yours yet for sure, then as you take this, just make that commitment. Just say, Lord, okay, no more questions, no more fighting, no more resistance. I'm going to yield. As I take this, I'm going to yield to you fully. And if you've been struggling in your walk and, you know, buried in the project and lost sight of the big picture, this is a good moment to go, draw back and go, this is, I'm so glad to be a part of something beyond words. This is phenomenal. This is, this is beyond all description. And I just go, thank God, yes, I'm recentered on what it is. Here, here I am. Here I am, Lord. And if you have any need, physical ailment, a job need, a social need, a family need, as we take this, bring that up before the Lord. This is a really precious moment. Lord, we centre ourselves on you this morning. Thank you, God, that we don't understand it all. And, and often, Lord, we have no idea... Uh, you know, what's going on really. But Lord, we just commit our way to you that you know and that we are safe with you and we entrust ourselves to you. We thank you that you went to the cross, you, you had your body broken. Lord Jesus, no bone was broken, but your, your body was broken. They tore your flesh. Lord, that we might have new life. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. Let's eat. Thank mm-hmm. you.